Well, thank you for all of your prayers for our family and especially for my daughter, Charlie, who delivered Sunday night after a really long labor of about 30 or more hours by C-section Sunday evening, this t- uh, a week ago, Sunday evening, gave birth to a nine-pound, one-ounce baby boy, Ridge Shepherd Ward. So he was 21 inches long, and he is perfect in every sort of way. And yes, it is possible to love two grandchildren equally well. I wasn't sure going into it. Like, how am I going to ever love this one as much as I love the first one? But boy, it's, it's easy. It really is. So, so thanks for all your prayers. And for we, we came back. Jody and I had to come home so we could get some rest because we were doing so much to help them. But the young family is doing well. And um, so I really do appreciate all of your prayers and love for us in our time of of support for for Charlie and Andy and Little Ridge. So, well, this morning I want us to look at the gospel passage, and you might have guessed that I was going to go there, but I, I just this is one of those passages that you know you can. I preached it probably you know every, every three years I preach this passage. It's I've preached it seven times, but I could preach it a hundred. And I know there's just different facets and as, aspects to this this gospel that you kind of kind of get your head around and your mind around it. I'm not going to exhaust the text today for certain, but I want to I want to again take a look at that with you today because I think it is such an important passage for us. I want you to think about the person perhaps that you admired earlier in life, not because of their success, not because of how much money they had or, or how talented they are or how smart they were or how successful they had been, but just a person that you just admired because of the quality of their life. They just had a quality about them. They, they, they knew who they were. They were at peace with themselves. They, they, they were comfortable within their own skin, and they just exuded a contentment with life and a joy in being who God had created them to be. For me, that was a guy named Richard. And when I was a, a middle schooler, he was a high schooler. And in my church in, in Jacksonville, it, he was there. And, and there was just something about Richard that drew me to him. He, he just had a quality about being comfortable with who he was and, and a contentment. He was from a divorced family, so it wasn't like he was there. He wasn't wealthy, although his, his dad was in insurance. And, but, he, but he just had this... this this quality about him that I, that I wanted to be around. Maybe that person was somebody else for you. Maybe you can relate to that person. I want you to think about that because even though that's not the question that comes from this young man or this young rich man or this young rich ruler, different gospels call him different things, but, but there was something about the way this young person, this man came to Jesus that r- reminds me of that sort of that that person, Richard, in my life. There was, there was something about Jesus that drew this man, and he had a question for him. And the question was how he might inherit eternal life. That tells us that he was a Pharisee, because if he'd been a Sadducee, he wouldn't have cared about the afterlife, because they didn't believe in the afterlife. But, but the Pharisees did, and so he wants to know about how to inherit eternal life, life that is not just an end, because no matter how wonderful, content, or joyful your life might be here, if it just ends, well, that would be a problem. But if there's a way to live this quality of life, or that we aspire to in someone else, and live that into eternity, that would be perfect. I watched a sitcom because some folks had told me about it, and, and it's called The Good Life, 
And it's all, I won't go into the whole premise of it, but the problem is that they had no concept of life eternal that was any different from the life we live in this world. And that was the fallacy of the program. And, and so obviously it, at some point they decided to, to stop existing because it became boring, which is ridiculous because eternity will be so much far beyond what we experience here. This is just a foretaste of what we'll experience in eternity. And so this young man comes and says, I want to inherit that life, that quality of life, but not just that is, is something that I experience in, in this 70 or 80 years. Boy, as, as you approach that 70 mark and the psalmist says, maybe you got 70 or 80 years, you know? I mean, it's like, wow, that's, that becomes to be a little bit of a, of a you know, a, you know, that's coming on strong for some of us, right? And, and yet to think about a life that goes beyond that 80 years into eternity, this young man comes asking that question. Is this passage strictly about wealth? The young man has a lot of money, and ultimately that will be a problem for him. He'll walk away from Jesus. Well, yes and no. We'll, we'll kind of get to that in a second. But what I want you to notice about the passage is that Jesus loves this young man. We're not told that he loves Jesus, which is the problem. He comes to Jesus. He recognizes him to be a teacher. He is seeking an answer to his question. But we are told that Jesus looked at the young man and loved him. He did not disdain him because he was wealth. He didn't disdain him because... Ultimately, the wealth would win out over his following Jesus. He loved him. Let that sink in. Christ loved this person that we know in a few verses is going to walk away from him. Christ loved him. Jesus, the Christ, loved this man and was and, it, and the word there in the Greek is agape him. He loved him with that God-like love, that unconditional love, that uncon- without condition, without any kind of uh, requirement. There was, it was not simply about him giving up the money. Jesus loved him, and because he loved him, he challenged him. The thing about the person of Jesus is that he had this this amazing ability to balance both love that drew people to him and also a love that challenged people. Jesus loves us so much no matter where we are, no matter what the sins of our life are like the psalmist was talking about, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He calls us, so he, he, his love draws us to him and then his love challenges us to draw closer to him. Jesus loved the young man This this man wants Jesus to answer his question. Jesus doesn't directly answer, does he? He kind of says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but but God. Possibly what Jesus is intending there is to say, are you recognizing that because you call me good that I'm God? Probably more likely, actually, though, what he was expecting was that that Jesus would respond, well, yes, good, good Pharisee. Yes, good young man. What, what can I do for you? In other words, return the compliment. But Jesus didn't buy into it. 
He says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. So he's able to accomplish both things. Yes, I am good because I am God, but at the same time, I'm not going to just play into your expectation. You, you're coming with all of your, your pedigree of all the things you've done and all the reasons why you believe that you deserve eternal life. Why do you call me good? And then he begins to tell him the, the, the commandments. He says, well, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Another way of saying don't steal. Although a little bit of an indication that maybe defraud would, would be, you know, the intent would be defraud the poor, those who are less fortunate with you. You know, there are people who make their wealth off of the misery of other people. Sadly, it was a few years ago, they did a survey, and, and the vast majority of people, even if they knew their clothes were made by, by modern-day slaves, you know, sweatshops, slave labor, they would still buy the clothes. They would ultimately not choose to buy something more expensive or something different if it was something they really wanted. That's, that's a sad commentary on, on humanity that we wouldn't even care that much. So he says, you know the commandments? Don't, don't do these things. Honor your mother and father. And this young man says, I've done all those things. I've kept them from, from my youth. You say, well, how, you know, Jesus will go on and expand the commandments and we know that ultimately he, he hasn't kept them in the, in the sense of his heart. Jesus says if you lust after a woman then you've committed adultery with her. If you, if you hate your brother then you've committed murder. But, but in the, the letter of the law this young man feels righteous. He feels as if he's kept the law. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 3. I, I, I've kept the law perfectly since my youth. He was able to do all the commandments. He didn't commit murder. He didn't, you know, go down the line. And, and he was able to say, I've done all those things. And, and yet Jesus looks at this young man's life and he sees, and you know this, he, he looks at him and he says, one thing you lack, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor. So again, there's that call to justice, to caring for the, the weak and the, the vulnerable, the ones who don't have. Then you'll have treasures in heaven and come follow me. And that's the key. You see, we, just by giving, if, if, you know, just give up all your possessions, give all your, that you have to the poor, and then you'll inherit eternal life. Well, that would be, first of all, that would be works righteousness, right? It would be we could earn our way into heaven. But that's not exactly what, that's not at all what Jesus means. But he looks in this young man's life and he realizes that, that his money his wealth is what's keeping him from following him. And so Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to give up all that you have and come follow me. Come follow me. It's the same come follow me statement that Jesus makes to his disciples along the sea as he calls the, the two sets of brothers, James and John and, and, and Peter and Andrew. He says, Leave your nets, leave your father, come follow me. And of course the disciples do that. It's, it's always about following Jesus. It's not about the condition. It, I told you guys a few weeks ago, I, when I was a young Christian, I struggled with this passage because I'm like, does this mean I'm supposed to give up all my wealth? Am I to be like, you know, St. Francis and, and live, you know, you know, hand to mouth, so to speak. And, and I don't believe that God calls everybody to do that. As a matter of fact, he needs a lot of us to keep working so we won't be dependent upon other people. But he does call us to look at that thing that grips our hearts. It's the follow me that the young man needed to be obedient to. For him it meant 
give up your wealth. Or at least be willing to give up your wealth. It's, it's really interesting to think about what would have happened if the young man had said, Lord, I, I, I want to give up my wealth, but I don't know how to. <laughs> Will you help me? <laughs> or I have a willingness to, but how would I make men's meet if I did that? And there's no conversation. And Jesus makes that challenging demand. Be willing to give up your money. He doesn't say willing. He says sell all that you have. But it's interesting to think about what would have happened if he had surrendered it all. If Jesus had said, well, now you can, you can hold on to it for me until I need it. I'm reading, uh, so I, on my way down to, to, uh, to, to be with our, our daughter and son-in-law, I decided that I needed to have something to read. I love to read novels and, and, and other classic literature. Um, if you're not dead or at least near death, I don't really have any desire to read what you have to say. I don't like dead people's words. I think they care a little more weight. But, you know, so I picked up Marjorie Rollins' book, Cross Creek. And uh, it was recommended to me by my Dave Foster and also Rick Mulligan, who works out at Marjorie Rollins' uh, house out at Cross Creek. And anyway, I just began to read it. And I, and I just began to, to, to uh, you know, and I, because it was light reading, okay? Basically, it's like, it was just easy to read. She's writing about the poor, f- simple folk that are around there. And, and, um, and she's just, you know, caring for them, and, and they're caring for her. And I don't know. I know there's a lot of controversy around that. Apparently, some people in Cross Creek don't think a lot of Marjorie Rollins because of what she wrote. But, but I just, there's this, there's a character, what, what strikes me is the, the communal nature of, the, of, the, of the, the village that was there. And though she had some more money than them, it was like her possessions were, were not only hers, it's like if you lived there and you had a car and somebody didn't have a car and they needed a car, they borrowed your car. Or if they came by your house and they needed gas money and they didn't have it, they just would siphon off your gas and then pay it back, you know, bring it back. Or maybe you needed some help here and there was bartering and there was caring for each other and loaning of money. And there was this sense of a cooperation of understanding that what we have, that if I have something and you need it, I have a moral obligation to share it with you knowing that you'll do the same for me in time. And it just strikes me that, that there's, a, there's a sense in which this young man and his struggle over his wealth is very much the struggle of most of us as Americans. We are so intent on making our mark and, 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 and building our wealth and our security and taking care of our own that we've lost that sense of communal care for one another. And especially the poor, I would say. And I don't want you to lose that in the story because Jesus says, sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me. There's a challenge there to recognize that it's not just about us alone. And the, the, that's going to become very, very pointed at the end of the story. Jesus looks at this young man. He loves him. As I said before, the problem is that the young man doesn't love Jesus. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, and at the end of the day, it's his wealth that that is possessing him rather than him possessing his wealth. And it becomes the key barrier from him following Jesus. And so he walks away. 
He didn't like the answer Jesus gave him, so he went away. And notice that Jesus lets him. Jesus lets him walk away. He doesn't run after him. So, well, hold on. Why don't you ask me if I can help you get over letting go of all your money? He challenges him to say, will you surrender your life to me? Dallas Willard says we have to come to a place where we say Jesus is enough. If you don't give me anything else, Jesus is enough. We know, and, and, and Jesus will say to the disciples, a hundredfold return, but, it, but we, we, can't, we can't give, you know, expecting to get more. You know, it's not a prosperity gospel. It's not a, you know, you give $100 and you get $1,000 back. Well, who wouldn't do that? It's, it's, about, it's about total surrender, even if you never receive anything more, even if all you have is Jesus and the shirt on your back. The young man walks away. And we're not told, we have no assurance that he ever comes back to Jesus. We don't hear much more about him. But Jesus looks around at the crowd and the disciples. Jesus begins to look at them and he knows how they're struggling in this. He says, how hard is this for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? So Jesus begins to equate kingdom of God with eternal life. Notice that. How hard it is for rich men to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for us to surrender the things that possess us. I once heard a Nigerian bishop, I probably have shared this to some of you. He said, it must be difficult to preach the gospel when you live in the wealthiest country in the world the most prosperous, powerful country? How do you preach the cross? Jesus emptying himself of everything, taking on the form of a servant and dying on a cross. Penniless. It's challenging. Because our wealth continually gives us a sense of support and protection against the troubles of life and and we want desperately to be insulated from all trouble. And yet, it prevents us from surrendering completely to the Lord's calling. Jesus says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He makes it even harder. Talks about the eye of the needle, the, the needle and the camel going through it, and it's not a gate somewhere in Jerusalem. It's it's he really means it's it's impossible because you can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. It's it's an impossibility for humans, which is what Jesus says. But with God, all things are possible. You see, the young man comes saying, "How do I inherit the kingdom of God? What must I do?" And Jesus is reminding the disciples that it's not about you doing it in your strength, but what the Lord can do in your life that you are in, have an impossibility to do. Rather than this young man calling out to God saying, Lord, I, I believe, I trust you, I want to surrender, I will sell everything, but 
help my unbelief because I am super scared about doing this, you know? Our daughter was like, Charlie was like, I want to be a mom. I want to do all this stuff, but I am scared to death that I won't know what to do. And she was so glad to have us there for a few days. And already she's doing it. It's like, Lord, I believe I can do this, but help my unbelief. But he doesn't do that. He just walks away. Because he can't even fathom a world where his identity is not based upon how much wealth he has. The disciples are like, well, who can be saved? I mean, in the ancient world, the idea was that if you were wealthy, that meant you had God's favor. And so clearly you were in. It was the poor people or the other people that had to worry about whether or not they, why they didn't have God's favor. Jesus turns it upside down and he says, no, it's, it's an upside down kingdom. It doesn't work the way you think it works. It's, it's not, it's not. It has, it's about surrendering ourselves. It's about trusting God even when we don't understand, when we can't possibly see. But it's not about earning it. It's such a, it's such a hard thing, concept to understand. It's, it's not that you, you, you do these things. It's not that he was selling all his possessions in order to, to gain eternal life, but he was selling his possession, calling to sell his possessions because he's called to surrender everything to Jesus and to trust Jesus and to come to him and follow him and trust that he'll make a way. You see the balance. To say, Lord, I trust you and then to not even be challenged by the things that really possess us and the really th- that control us would not be to f- following Jesus. But to somehow think that you could sell all those things or do some sort of act and gain eternal life would be the wrong thing either. It's, it's walking this line between, between loving and trusting Jesus and at the same time uh, being willing to do. Again, Dallas Willard, he's, uh, he comes to my mind a lot because I, I, I appreciate some of the words he says. He's, the, the gospel is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, but we have to make effort. When I was a high schooler and I began, I was started following Jesus pretty seriously, I was asked to be in a rock and roll band. You guys don't know that about me, but I was. I could have been a rock star, maybe. I don't know, but uh, at least the lead singer of a rock band, I don't know. But Jesus said, you need to not do that. So after... One performance I had to end my rock and roll career right there. So, Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me, 1985. Later in college, Jesus said, not to, don't go to law school. I wanted to go to law school. My dad had gone to law school, and I thought, looks good. I'll, I think I would make a good lawyer. Jesus said, you can't go to law school. In this life, to follow Jesus will mean that we have to say no to things, that we have to surrender to things, we have to die to certain things, things that we might think are good and we can justify in our minds, but Jesus simply says, no, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to die to that dream or that expectation. It's the, as my friend David Sandifer used to say, it's the open hand. It's Jesus, take whatever you want from me. My whole life is open to you. That is so hard to do. I don't, I'm not trying to, that is so hard to do. But that's the goal. That's what we want to do with our lives. 
and allow the Lord to take or leave whatever he wants, but not to grasp it. Let him take it. Charlie just gave birth, was three weeks old. She got really sick, and we didn't know what was wrong with her, and we were praying over in the hospital, and we, I remember Joey and I praying, Lord, if, if all you're going to give us is three weeks with her, she's yours. By the grace of God, he's a miracle. He didn't take her, and we got to raise her, and now we, we get to see her child. So that's amazing blessing, but, it's, but it's, it's a blessing. It's not, you owe me, God. You've got to do this for me. And that's the difference of what we're seeing here. Well, I'm, I'm going on and on. I told you, this is, this is, there's so much here that I want you to understand. I, I, I want you to understand that there are times where the Lord will call us to walk away from careers and family, at least temporarily, or move away from them, from reputations. To be a Christian can just ruin your reputation in the business world. I can vouch for that. Nobody wants to hang out with a guy that always wants to talk about Jesus, right? And sometimes you'll be called away from things. Brent McHugh that spoke last week, our mission partner, you need to know Brent, Brent was a Walgreens store planter. And God called him to quit Walgreens and go to Bible college. And he, wouldn't, he won't tell you this, but he did that. At the pinnacle of a, of a corporate career, he walked away from it, went to Bible college, felt called to go to Iran, called to Turkey to work with the Iranians, and planted 11 churches among the Iranians in Turkey, which is why now he's the international director for Christar, because God has blessed and anointed him to do that work. But it started with a surrender, as it does for each of us. Peter says, Lord, we, we've given up everything for you. You know, Peter's like, look, Jesus, you want, you want total surrender? Here's total surrender. We've given up everything. We've walked away from all, you know, we've walked away from our fishing, from our careers. We've walked away from our family. We're, we're nomadic. We're walking around the country with you. Jesus says, there's no one, you, you can't outgive God. This is a Ralph Coriel. You can't outgive God. No matter, a hundredfold you'll receive for everything you're sacrificed with persecutions, this Christian life is not sugar-coated. If you follow Jesus, there will be tough times. There will be sorrow. There will be heartbreak. Reality is, life was heartbreak. <laughs> do you want to do it with Jesus or without him? That's the choice you got to make ultimately. But Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. I'm not promising you a rose garden. He says, but you'll be blessed a hundredfold. But the first will be last and the last will be first. It's an upside-down kingdom. He doesn't call us all to sell all of what we have and give to the poor, but he calls us all to be ready. Three applications and I'm done. First, is this all about money? Yes and no. It's not all about money because that thing that possesses you may not be money as much as something else, but it's all about money because we're Americans. <laughs> At least most of us are Americans. I think we're all Americans here. Um, and so for us, it needs to be about money because we need to realize that we are called to die to our attempts to live protected by our own wealth. It's driven some people to be pretty, pretty angry 
and bitter because ultimately in the American dollar do we trust rather than in God do we trust. So we must be willing to surrender. But secondly, that one thing may be more than just money. It may be something else the Lord is calling you to die to. It may be your reputation or your status, your kids or your grandkids, your, your parents, your pedigree, who you are. Do you know who my family is? Do you know what my legacy is? Or My grand, grand, grandparents are on the Mayflower. You may be asked to die to that. You may be asked to die to your intelligence, your strength, your power, your skills, your personality. But Jesus doesn't call us to surrender those things because he's malicious. He calls us to surrender those things because like that young man, he loves us. And he knows that if anything besides him possesses us, it will consume us. And so the way of eternal life has to be through surrender Thirdly, remember that it is not about all these things. It's not about working or doing enough or giving enough. It's about following Jesus. It's about saying, Jesus, you are enough. And when we feel as if we can't do it, Jesus, you're calling me to do something I just don't think I can do. Great. Because then you're in the position of grace to say, Lord, I want to do what I know I can't do, but what you're calling me to do. And when you're in that place, God works. His strength is made perfect in weakness, but it takes that surrender first. When the young man approaches Jesus, he's on the way, he's on his journey, it begins. I don't know if you caught that, he's on his journey. Where's he journeying to? He's journeying to Jerusalem. He's journeying, to, he's journeying to the cross where he's going to lay down his life, total surrender to the will of the Father, to make a way for us, us who are chained in sin and gripped by the things that, that possess us and to set us free in Christ. He calls us to follow him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.